Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? Tread confidently in winter's worst with a set of new tires from Tire Rack. They sell only the best, like the full line of Redestine tires. Go to TireRack.com slash sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to you or one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Thanks for listening to the best of Outkick the Coverage podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, 3 to 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for Outkick the Coverage at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every morning on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. This is the best of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. Saturday night. It was exploiting that Ohio State defense. This is, makes me a little bit alarmed if I'm Ohio State. This is two straight years now you've gone on the road against a relatively mediocre Big Ten opponent and gotten waxed. They gave up 55 points last year to Iowa, and it cost them the ability to play for the national championship. They gave up 49 points to Purdue, and it was an utter beatdown. So what do we think now that Ohio State has gotten that loss? It was the biggest uh, outcome of the weekend in college football by far because of its long-range impact. Now, uh, let me say this. Okay, so you start to look at the playoff picture. I don't think that's crazy at all because we're at least two-thirds of the way through the college football regular season. My playoff four right now, my playoff four would be in this order, Alabama, who I think is right now trending not towards just being good, but I think there's an argument to be made that with Tua's performance through eight games and everything else, they've got the bye week now, and then they go on the road against LSU. There's an argument to be made that Alabama could be the best college football team of our lifetimes because they're not just winning. They are throttling people. They're going to open as a two-touchdown road favorite over LSU. If they go into Baton Rouge and win by ten points, Mississippi State, Auburn, and Citadel ain't got a dream of beating this Alabama Crimson Tide team in Tuscaloosa. And then you would go to the SEC title game. Maybe it's Georgia. Maybe it's Florida. Kentucky fans are like, hey, how about us? I think you're going to lose on the road at Missouri this weekend. But you got three one-loss teams in the SEC East all battling it out. We'll see what ends up transpiring there. 
I don't see one of those teams being able to beat Alabama either. And frankly, I don't think anybody else in the playoff is going to be able to do it either as long as Tua stays healthy. If he gets injured, then I think the drop-off from Tua to Jalen Hurts is great to good. Alabama goes from a great team, maybe an all-time great team, just a really good team with Jalen Hurts. Still probably good enough to win the national championship. They're the unquestioned number one. I got Notre Dame sliding up into my number two spot, even though they were on the bye this week. They play against Navy. And I think with the Ohio State loss, there's an argument to be made that Notre Dame could still lose a game, go 11-1, and and make the college football playoff. I've got LSU in at my number three spot, and I've got Michigan now advancing to my fourth spot. That's my college football playoff. Clemson fans all up in arms. I am more impressed by what LSU has done. Beat Miami at a neutral site game. Beat Auburn, even though Auburn's not as good as we thought they are. They're still, I think, a legit top 25 caliber team. Then you got a a win against Georgia. I think all three of those are very solid wins. Michigan, one loss on the road by seven against Notre Dame. They are rounding into form other than the beginning of their game against Northwestern. They've been dominant. I'm not a huge fan of Harbaugh. I think he's overhyped. He's a good coach, not a great coach. But the response by Notre Dame, uh, by Michigan, since they lost to Notre Dame has been excellent. Here is the rest of my top ten. I am not a Clemson believer based on what we've seen so far. Doesn't mean I don't think Clemson will end up in there if they get undefeated, but my top ten remainder. I got Give me a little bit of the music in the background if you want to, boys. The Fox College football music. I think we got it. There it is. The melodic tunes to accompany my outkick top ten. Bama one, Notre Dame two, LSU three, Michigan four. I would have all of those teams in my uh, playoff. Then I've got Georgia, Clemson, Florida, Texas, Oklahoma, and I got Ohio State at 10, but I think I got that wrong. I think it should be Central Florida. So I'm bumping Ohio State back out of the top 10 the more I think about that loss. Having said that, the overall impact, I think, again, here's my number one, Alabama, two, Notre Dame, three, LSU, four, Michigan, five, Georgia, six, Clemson, seven, Florida, eight, Texas, nine, Oklahoma, Number 10, Central Florida. So what's the overall impact of Ohio State's loss? Frankly, if you're an Ohio State fan, it ain't that significant if you continue to win. Because if you win out, then Ohio State will be in the college football playoff. I don't think there's any doubt. So while this loss was bad, if you win out, you beat Michigan at the end of the year, you beat Michigan State, you beat whoever advances from the Big Ten West, and what a mess that is. Northwestern, Iowa, Wisconsin, Purdue, all with one or fewer losses all competing to win the Big Ten West. I'd love to know what odds you could have gotten on Purdue as the Big Ten champ when they started off 0-3. That would have been an unbelievable play. How about Northwestern to win the Big Ten after they lost to Akron for the first time Akron beat a Big Ten team since 1894? That would have been a hell of a play. So in the Big Ten, Michigan wins out. They are in the playoff. If Ohio State wins out, they are in the playoff. I don't think anybody else is going to be able to make the playoff from the Big Ten Conference. Again, Michigan can win out, get to 12-1. and I think they will be in. I think if Ohio State wins out, gets to 12-1, and they will still be in. If you are a Big 12 fan, if you're an Oklahoma fan, if you are a, uh, if you are a big fan of the uh, Texas Longhorns, I think this Ohio State loss was great for you because right now, if I were projecting who would play in the Big 12 championship game, I think it will be Oklahoma and Texas. 
And if Oklahoma got in and got revenge and beat Texas to come back after losing earlier, then I think Oklahoma would have a good chance of getting in the playoff. On the flip side, if Texas beat Oklahoma for a second time, then I think Texas, that first uh, week loss to Maryland, would be overlooked. And I think either of those teams would have a really good shot at getting into the playoff at 12-1. and I mentioned it earlier. Notre Dame, I think, even with a loss now, if Michigan wins the Big Ten, I don't see how you leave Notre Dame out at 11-1 and when they beat Michigan head-to-head, who would be 12-1. and I think the possibility there, if Michigan continues to play, and right now I think Michigan's the best team in the Big Ten, if Michigan continues to win out and play like they are right now, then I think Notre Dame, even at 11-1, and would be in. Certainly Clemson at 13-0 and would get in. I'm not sure that 12-1 and Clemson would. And uh, I, I think that's kind of the picture in general. The Pac-12 is down to only Washington State as a one-loss team. As much as I love Mike Leach, we had one of the best interviews we've had on OutKick with Mike Leach, I don't think Washington State will get to 12-1, and to, which would be necessary probably to put them in the mix. Uh, the other aspect here I would say is if the SEC East team gets into the title game and finds a way to beat Alabama – I think the SEC would have a really good shot of getting two because based on how Alabama has played and based on how dominant they have been, I don't know how you would leave out a 12-1 and Alabama team that lost a close SEC championship game. Alabama's the best team in college football. They may not win it, but they are the unquestioned best team in college football. The thing that makes college football more entertaining than, say, the Warriors, who I know are sitting at 2-1, and is the Warriors have to lose a best-of-seven series. Bama could theoretically lose in a one-game playoff. If Tua got hurt, if he threw three interceptions and suddenly threw his first pick of the season and not only threw one but threw a couple, all that could happen in a one-game setting where you only play for 60 minutes. If Alabama played a best-of-seven series against any team in college football, I don't think any team in college football could take them seven. I'm not sure anybody in college football could take them six. I think some team in college football could take them five. All right, that is my takeaway college football style. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Butch Jones, uh, the, the now, like oh, no. I don't know what he is, like an intern at yeah. Alabama. He got a Gatorade bath after Alabama beat Tennessee, and he also was photographed smoking a victory cigar which is a trend uh, tradition in the uh, Tennessee-Alabama uh, rivalry. The players that win smoke victory cigars. I thought this was utterly indefensible by Butch Jones. You recruited everybody, essentially, who was on the field getting their ass kicked by Alabama, and then you celebrate the fact that as a like unpaid intern, basically, I think he's making like throw or maybe $35,000 a year, um, you're making millions of dollars in buyouts from Tennessee. Are you with me that getting Gatorade bath and then smoking a cigar? Some people can say, well, he didn't choose the Gatorade bath. Well, I would say you could you know, kind of let it be known that you don't want a Gatorade bath <laughs> if you feel that. And you certainly could choose not to smoke the Victory cigar. I think this is one of the most ludicrously indefensible sideline moves by a coach that I have seen in a long time. Did you see these pictures and did you see that video? And what side of the of the curtain do you come down on this one? Well, you talk about ludicrous sideline moves. I mean, there was a great trash can on the field 
a season yeah. ago. Butch Jones has been known for ludicrous sideline moves and ludicrous sideline expressions and ludicrous coaching decisions. So this just kind of falls in line with it. Yeah, I saw it as it happened. I saw the video come out, and then I saw the video or the uh, photos being tweeted from every corner of the earth. Right, we had Albert Hainsworth on the radio on Saturday prior to the game, and I kind of joked with him off the top and said, you know what, I went to your Twitter feed and looked at your Twitter bio, and it just reads, thank God we finally have an AD and a head coach at UT. That's how people feel about Butch Jones. The fact that he would – I mean, all he's doing is opening himself up in that moment. He can be indefensively Butch Jones because that's what Butch Jones does. When I saw that, I just rolled my eyes thinking – Dude, you're literally smoking a cigar because you had nothing to do with the win and everything to do with the loss. Like, you could actually pin a lot of that loss on Butch Jones. Directly on And my him. man's out here, yeah, and my man's out here with a cigar next to real football players that actually did something. It was pretty incredible. I also saw the photo of him and Peyton Manning together before the game, and Peyton was kind of laughing, and I just wanted to throw a caption out there, and I, I restrained myself numerous times from it. It's just amazing how bad Butch Jones was for the University of Tennessee and how he's regarded right now in Knoxville and around the country. Uh, here is what Albert Hainsworth tweeted. Uh, Albert Hainsworth, obviously, uh, first-round draft pick out of Tennessee who went on to a, uh, a very lucrative uh, NFL career. He tagged Butch Jones. He said, at Coach Butch Jones. I mean, Alabama football won against a team you all caps put together but you're smoking a cigar like you accomplished something, you act like you called the plays or had something to do with the game plan for them. Does the player next to you even know your name, Lyle? I mean, that Lyle's is a awesome. uh, fatality. Butch Jones's real first name is Lyle. Um, that, is, uh, that is an amazing uh, a line. And I can guarantee you this. Posing in Alabama gear, smoking a victory cigar, after you recruited the entire team that just got whipped and you got fired and you're making still millions of dollars from the university, his career in the South is over. There's no one in the South that is remotely going to touch Butch Jones uh, after behavior like this. Maybe there's somebody in the Big Ten at a low-level school. Maybe there's somebody back in the MAC, which is where I think he probably belongs uh, in all, for all intents and purposes. No one in the SEC is going to touch him. And I mean, have some self-respect. I mean, you're basically dunking on yourself when you're celebrating the team that you had nothing to do with destroying the team that you built. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. Fun game, kind of different for these London games. Most of them have not been fun. Most of them have been blowouts. This one comes down to the last play and a decision. That just part of a crazy, crazy day in the NFL. This has been a really fun season of pro football. Even those like me that believe college football is a is a better, more entertaining product have to admit that the NFL has been awfully good and awfully fun to watch, even though there are some bad teams out there. I'm sure we'll discuss that. I'm Jason Martin in for the next two hours alongside Jeff Schwartz. He played in that NFL for eight years on the offensive line. He joins me from Charlotte, North Carolina. Jeff, what is up, my friend? Oh, not much, man. You're right. We've had exciting seasons so far. We've had a lot of points scored. Uh, we had a couple great games yesterday. I know everyone's going to focus on what the Chiefs did, the Patriots did, but, man, the Saints going into yeah. Baltimore and giving it 
uh, to the Ravens. I know they won on a P- missed PAT. Justin Tucker was 222 of 222 on PATs heading into that game. Uh, I don't care. The Saints, that's a, a great win for them. I, my biggest takeaway from yesterday, along with a lot of points being scored, um, was aggressiveness. Again, we've seen coaches now decide to be aggressive and look, they get rewarded with it. Some don't. Frank Wright didn't. Vrabel didn't, and, and the aggressive part of, of what Vrabel did yesterday was fine. The play call was atrocious, so that, I'm not sure that, that that he has say on on what that is, considering he's a defensive-minded coach. But we've seen time and again that aggressive coaches, Sean Payne went for it four times on the first drive on fourth down, um, that they get rewarded in the end. Over the long run, you stay aggressive, you will be rewarded in the end, and we have coaches like Jason Garrett who refuse to be aggressive, and they lose, plain and simple. Yeah, let's talk about the Saints, and then we will talk about Jason Garrett and, and what happened there towards the end of that game. The Saints certainly did benefit, yes, from the Justin Tucker play, but this was the eighth time in the past 15 years where the number one scoring offense has played against the number one defense. And I don't think people would actually believe this, but it's 7-1 and one for the right. offense against the defense. And in those games, going into yesterday – the offenses in those particular matchups had averaged 31 points a game. Yep. We've actually seen it happen twice this year. We had it yesterday, and we had it a few weeks back with Kansas City and Jacksonville, and the Chiefs put up 30, so they were a little bit below the 31, but pretty much right there on that line. New Orleans, it took them a while. They had like a 10-11 minute drive in the first quarter, and they came away with no points because they went for it on fourth down. And it did not work out. Baltimore did not play badly, but in this situation, the Saints were able to do enough. And it, it felt like more often than not, Baltimore had trouble getting off the field on third down. And that's somewhere they've been awfully good all season long. The Saints have kind of skated a little bit because they probably should have lost to the Cleveland Browns in the second week of the season. They were kicking woes in that game as well for Cleveland. Plus, you had Tyrod Taylor out there, and that offense was just a complete mess in Cleveland at the time. And then you have what happened yesterday. But if you go back and you look at a lot of the teams that end up winning the Super Bowl or making runs, they have to get through a couple of these that you probably shouldn't get through. You have to find a way to get lucky in some respects. Justin Tucker's never missed an extra point in his career. If that goes to overtime, who do you feel good about? I don't know. You may feel good about whoever wins the coin toss in that situation at that point. And you had the same thing again happen with Cleveland. But I'm not going to begrudge the Saints for winning it that way. You know, you roll your eyes a little bit. But eventually, a lot of these teams, whether or not it's the Steelers through the years, the Patriots, things can just kind of go your way. It can kind of just be your season. And then you can look at the flip side and look at something like the Atlanta Falcons, who are on Monday Night Football tonight, dealing with all the injuries to their defense and some issues that they've even had with play calling early in the year and just say, sometimes it's just not going your way. The Saints, it's going their way. They're a one-loss team, and they're in the driver's seat right now, except for the Rams, who are the best team in football. You're right about the breaks. When you get to the... The deep in the playoffs, when you make a sewer run, you get breaks along the way. And I, I would not consider what happened yesterday to be as big of a break as, Cle- as when they lost to, excuse me, beat Cleveland. Cleveland missed four field goals, okay? Right. The Saints did not play well that game. The Browns outplayed the Saints. Yesterday, I thought the Saints outplayed the Ravens. Um, and there's a, a big difference, in my opinion. And the aggressive part of what the Saints did, I think, I know, I'll tell you this, I know that it 
put in their minds as a team, we're going to get after Baltimore. So it put in the minds of the defense. Let's be aggressive. Let's get after Baltimore because we know that our offense has our back if things don't go well. Yes, you're right. They did not end up with points yesterday off the first drive. They fumbled away on the fourth down. They ran an option on the fourth down and fumbled it away. doesn't matter. They ate nine minutes off the clock, so Baltimore did not score. It put in the mind to the entire team that we're going to be aggressive today. They ran a fake punt from, I want to say, it was from the New Orleans 34-yard line. They ran a yeah, fake punt. Yeah, it was punt, incredible. Right? And they got four yards. Now, Taysom Hill, by the way, I don't think enough is made about him. He does everything for them. He is the slash quarterback. He plays special teams. He plays wide receiver. He does a lot of stuff. He made a special teams tackle, I think, on the last, on the last, um, uh, uh, Ravens drive, on the last kickoff. So, Saints down 17-7 entering the fourth quarter. They put up 17 points on the second ranked defense in the NFL. And then obviously they come down and that kick was missed. How about this, Jason? Did you, it felt, it felt like, Augusta wind, the football gods just like pushed that kick right because it was going straight online. The PAT, yeah, it was. And I had a buddy. I was over the house watching it with me, and, and he's a soccer guy. And look, soccer and kicking a NFL football are different, but he understands the way the ball should move. Right? He goes, "That's not normal. If you're off a right, off a right, a right footed kicker, the ball does not move that quickly to one direction, especially when it's straight online. And the flag poles, the the flags look still too." Um, in, in the, the face of Tucker, unbelievable. Um, Drew Brees throws his 500th touchdown pass. A little disappointed they didn't hand him a laminated piece of paper to let him know that he made this accomplishment. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, this is a, a big win for, for the Saints. Five and one now. Um, they, and they have the toughest schedule, by the way, on the way out. So they, you know, they need some of these wins. They're, they're now at the Vikings, Sunday Night Football. Do they get the Rams at home? Then they get uh, the Bengals, which we saw last night, maybe not as good. They get the Eagles, and the Eagles, look, they lost the game yesterday. They should have. They had no business losing up 17 nothing at home. Um, but then they play the Falcons, and they finish with Cowboys, Bucks, Panthers twice, sandwiched with a game at home against the Steelers. So they uh, they have a tough schedule on the way out, but they're 5-1. and one. They have firm control now of the South, uh, two-game lead on, uh, excuse me, a one-game lead on the Panthers, but they're better than the Panthers. So big win for them. It was fun to watch. That's the first game I felt, Jason, that really felt like a playoff atmosphere this early in the season. It was something about the the, the sun was going down, right? And we know like that first playoff game, uh, it's an yeah. afternoon game. The sun kind of yeah. is going down, right? I think both teams were were physical. Both teams were efficient. Um, there was there was some good hitting in that in, in that game. Some good run, some good rushes. It just felt like a heavyweight battle was upon us. And we see so much offense in the NFL. It was nice, in my opinion, to see a game that had both defense and offense. Twenty four, twenty three. Maybe it goes to overtime, and you know, and, and the scores anywhere from thirty one, you know, thirty one, twenty four to twenty seven, twenty four, whatever it is. Um, I thought it was a great combination of both offense and defense, and this is what the NFL is about. You have to play some defense. Sorry, Chiefs. And look, they played defense well yesterday. Patriots. You got to play defense in the playoffs. A little bit of defense in the playoffs. Have to make a couple plays. Um, I know Super Bowl is 41-33, but Brandon Graham made a play on defense to get him, you know, to get the Eagles probably that win in that game. So you got to play a little bit of defense. I think yesterday in that game, we saw a little bit of everything that I loved it. Yeah, let's stay with the NFC South. We will talk about the the Cowboys and and all of these games because there is so much to discuss. But the Panthers with a big comeback win 
over Philadelphia on the road yesterday. And I don't think enough has been made about Philadelphia's secondary just not being very good this season. They haven't been good at any point, but they're in the bottom five in the league in yards given up. Mariota's taking advantage of them. We've seen multiple multiple guys take advantage of them this season. They're giving up 65% completion percentage, 1,888 yards, 270 yards per game. And we saw Cam Newton yesterday do what Cam Newton is capable of doing which is carving up the field. And what he did in that fourth quarter was super impressive, especially when you consider these are not a whole lot of household names that he has that he's throwing the football to. McCaffrey is great. Greg Olson is a wildly underrated tight end and has been for a long time when he's able to be healthy. You've got a a rookie receiver that's doing pretty good work for them. But this Panthers team, I'm impressed. I didn't think they would be quite this good this season but I think they're legit now I don't think they're as good as the Saints but I'd already penciled in a couple of weeks ago one of those teams is winning a division one of them will get a wild card but I I was thoroughly impressed with Cam Newton and what that offense was able to do against Philadelphia yesterday in the fourth quarter the thing about the Panthers and I've watched every snap of their season I live in Charlotte is I still don't know what to make of them (laughs) they're four and two right um this is the first game they've won this season as an underdog. They, they beat the Cowboys at home, lost the Falcons on the road, beat the Bengals at home, beat the Giants at home, lost the Redskins last week, two weeks ago, I should say now, and beat the Eagles. They put the Ravens, by the way, this weekend. So, uh, at home. So that would be game. another contest, a heavyweight contest. Um, for them, you know, they, they've done this two weeks in a row now where the first three quarters, nothing. Nothing on offense. Cam Newton doesn't play terribly well. And then the fourth quarter comes, and they turn it on, and Cam Newton plays outstanding in the fourth quarter. They make enough plays. Devin Funches, Torrey Smith, Jarius Wright, DJ Moore, Kirsten. They have talent there, Greg Olson, um, but um, not not household names yet. I think DJ Moore has a chance uh, eventually. He you know he had fumbling issues two weeks ago. Um, they're down 17 nothing in the fourth quarter and score 21 points to win that game. Give the offense credit for that, but the Eagles' offense was pathetic in the fourth quarter. Uh, they ran the ball one time, and look, they only mm-hmm. rushed for for two point four yards a carry yesterday, uh, and Wentz was th- thirty of thirty seven. But you have to run the football a little bit, um, especially with that offensive line. And then coming down the stretch, man, Wentz he had Ertz wide open. This is the play that Eric Reed almost picked off to end the game before the 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 Eagles ended up ending the game. It was an odd pass, man. It was like he had played great all game and just missed this this kind of wide open earth over the middle of the field in a, in a typical play that they run. And um and then they you know, ended up losing the game. But we see Doug Peterson stay aggressive. Yeah, he lost, but he stayed aggressive. Um should have run the football a couple more times, but give the Panthers credit. They fought back. They're four and two now. Uh they still have, by the way, a tough road because they have the AFC North to play. So they have the Ravens and the Steelers still. They're at the Lions now. The Lions, um look out for the Lions. They're they're not half bad. Yeah, um, they're not. Yeah. They're, they're not. Bad. I mean they're they're like a top seven defense, I think. Right now, the number and, one passing defense heading into this weekend, as far as yards yeah. per game, which is pretty impressive considering that um, that's a number. I don't like yards per typically the yards per like defense or yards per game, but pass defense. I think we can use that number because if you're ahead, which the Lions have been, and you still hold teams to you know down and not allow them to pass the ball, that's that's pretty impressive. Uh, but credit the Panthers, man. They 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 did what they had to do. They won this game. Um, little oddness before the game, but they got over it. They won, uh, and they're four and two. They're right. They're, they're a team that 
is definitely a playoff team, 100%. Um, are they going to make some damage in the playoffs? I don't know. We'll see. But with Cam Newton, I'll tell you what, you're always in the game. Um, and they and the Panthers play really well November, December. So they're going to be a hot team heading the playoffs. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. We welcome in our good friend Alex Marvez of SiriusXM. NFL Radio. Alex, good morning. Good morning, J-Mark. Good morning, Schwartzy. What's happening, gentlemen? Uh, that was a fun day of NFL football yesterday. More fun for some teams than others. Uh, <laughs> let's start in Jacksonville. What a mess this has become in short order on both sides of the ball. The defense not turning it over the way it did a season ago. They're jawing. There might have been a fight in the locker room after the game. You're benching Blake Bortles after paying him a lot of money in the offseason. This has, uh, this has the potential to go really bad if it hasn't already. Right, and it's almost like the proverbial loser-leave-town match when it comes to the game coming up in London, right? I mean, the Eagles are sitting there at 3-4, and four, the Jaguars are at 3-4, and four, and both are in a little bit of a perilous situation. You know, we got Doug Peterson in Philadelphia saying that, telling the guys his post-game message after that loss to Carolina, the fourth quarter collapse, his message was, oh, uh, the pressure's off. You know, he's trying to get his team out of the Super Bowl funk. Okay, good luck with that. But even the Eagles, I mean, they're looking like they did last year compared to the Jaguars. They have scored 28 points in the past three games, just one touchdown in each of the last two. These are double, I mean, you're talking double-digit blowouts at Kansas City, at Dallas, but the Houston game particularly disturbing. I mean, they could not affect Deshaun Watson. And, I mean, I'm, I'm going to get to the offense in a minute, but you're talking about a guy who had to take a bus ride, according to our Jay Glazer, of course, at Fox Sports. Uh, you know, a 12-hour bus ride on a Greyhound because, the Texans were concerned about how air pressure might affect his ribs. I mean, this mm. guy was teetering on the brink of being knocked out of a game, and, the, and they just couldn't affect him. I mean, that's how it was, and Deshaun finishes the game. And on offense, you know, what Doug Marone was so upset about was the turnovers. And, and he says, look, he asked him who's starting a quarterback. He said this week, it's open. And it may very well be Cody Kessler going this way, but that's why they got to get Carlos Hyde on track. I mean, they got to they got to get the running game going. It starts up there, but man, their offensive line isn't playing all that well either. You're down to your third string left tackle, it, and you know Austin Safarian Jenkins is out. I mean, it has been a, a just complete mess of a season for a Jags team that a lot of folks, including yours truly, thought were ready to take that next step. Is it too early to say that Leonard Fournette was not the right decision for the Jaguars when they made that move? a couple of years ago. I mean, he's been banged up, but it looks like he's going to have a hamstring that might dog him forever. You know, it's interesting. We, you know, we, when it comes to this, this thing, right, with quarterbacks, the Miami Dolphins are still haunted by Drew Brees, right? And we can point out, and, and for that matter, they're still haunted by having passed on Aaron Rodgers like 23 other teams before he goes to the Green Bay Packers. And I think when we look at and, and back in history on Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson, we very well could be saying, what were these teams thinking? when they decided to go running back. And for the Jaguars to continue to make the investment that they have in Blake Bortles, I mean, look, this is David Caldwell, who has, you know, almost pulled out a Khrushchev and banged his shoe on the table this offseason, <laughs> saying, I believe in Blake Bortles. I believe that he can take us to a Super Bowl and win one. And look, the, the, the needle, you know, everything was going up. There was an upward trajectory until this season, and I think there's a variety of reasons why it hasn't petered out. For Nett, this the hamstring injury especially discouraging because he had come back, wasn't 100% right, and then and he re-injures himself, and now he's out again for another couple of weeks. But, look, this is how the Jags are going to play football. From the people I've talked to in the organization, their feeling going in the season was, we're going to be, if 
If we can run the ball, we trust our defense. We just got to be able to run it. If we get into long distance situations, third and eight, third and ten, on a consistent basis, we're, we're going to be in some trouble. And that's exactly what's been happening to this Jags offense. No traction in the running game, anemic passing offense. Blake Bortles just can't get the job done. And now we have a quarterback controversy coming up in Jacksonville as they head across the pond to play the Eagles. We'll just spend one more question on, on Jacksonville. I promise everyone. So we see, we see, uh, uh, often with defenses that talk a lot that when things don't go well, they don't go well quickly and they start turning on each other. I think we're seeing a little bit of that in Jacksonville with post game. There was some jawing back and forth in the locker room. Do you get a sense that this team is, is very close to combusting if they can't get any offensive performance this weekend in London? Well, you know, you had that uh, altercation, if we go back to August, also involving Yannick Ngakwe, and that's who we apparently, did. you know, was You're the right. person when... And so just to, to paint the picture for our listeners, you know, so they open up the doors. There's a, a cooling-off period in the NFL. Then the, the league requires teams to open up their locker room door for the media to come in. Well, media walks in, and all of a sudden, Yannick Ngakwe is being restrained by Calais Campbell as some altercation is happening. They're like, oh, we're going to close these doors once again. Everybody, nothing to see here. Move along, okay? So, uh, so that's... That's where we're at with this. And in short, so you know how it is. Look, some teams like the Steelers, they can they can survive on dysfunction, yep. right? I mean, they're okay with it. But I think in Jacksonville, a lot of egos that are involved, a lot of high expectations, and you know, guys wanting to get paid too. I mean, remember, Ngakwe is one of those guys that you know going into a contract year, you know, he's looking to get get his cash. I mean, and, and this is how teams fall apart. And this is on Doug Marone to pull this thing together now, right? I mean, to make sure these guys. But I, I just feel like the Jags they have so much swag, and and they're they're an emotional group. There's going to be these types of outbursts we'll see they just got to play better i mean it's been it's been pretty bad for a defense that should be dominating they haven't been able to and now look you know look to we you know we could look at cole beasley last week look at the rushing yards that they've given up the past three weeks 126 yards 206 yards to the cowboys 141 of the texans lamar miller going for 100 if that's happening to you especially when you the way you played yesterday at home against houston should have had a great home field advantage i mean this jags team is sinking well, let's talk about a team that's on the rise with a, with a Hall of Fame quarterback. The Saints yesterday, in my opinion, had the best win of the day. Going up to Baltimore, down 17-7 in the fourth quarter, come back and win that game. Yes, I know that Tucker missed a PAT, but I don't care. Great win by the Saints. What was your takeaway from that uh, big victory on the road? Yeah, I mean, look, and that's, that's, it is amazing, though, right? All everyone's going to remember is Justin Tucker. You know what I thought was a cool scene? Uh, and, you know, it, it's not in, in the big picture, not referring to the comeback, but when Drew Brees threw that 500 touchdown pass to Ben Watson, if you watch the celebration afterward, you see Ben go and give Drew the football and say yes. it was number 500 and gives him this huge hug. And I talked with Ben a couple of weeks ago about, you know, Drew Brees and just how much respect he has for him as a person and as a player. They're both almost the same age. I mean, Ben's 38 years old, Drew's 40. You know, I mean, yeah, these are the graybeards of the NFL, right? But, you know, the, the pass that Brees threw yesterday on the sideline to Traquan Smith, you know, where Smith had his feet in, I mean, it was just such a thing of beauty. And, look, it, it's an incredible offense. The whole thing with the, the Saints has always been, can their defense hold up, and they did enough to get the job done. I mean, Breeze had never won in Baltimore before. Ravens coming off an 11-sack performance against the Titans. I I give them a lot of credit. That was that type of gritty win that sometimes you don't see from the Saints because they're not regarded as a very good road team. Uh, The thing is, though, that the schedule not going to be getting very much easier. I believe for the, for the New Orleans Saints. So, you know, with Carolina winning, that does continue to put the heat on them. But big time Sunday night matchup next week as they head to Minnesota to play the Vikings. Got to, someone's got to stop Adam Thielen at some point, right? <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> you think? 
He's one away from what? The NFL record now. I think he's one away from Calvin Johnson's 100-yard streak. He's got seven games. He needs that eighth, and he may well get it on Sunday Night Football. Alex Marvez, our guest here on Outkick the Coverage. Uh, Let's talk about the Cowboys and how they had that game, maybe, and then there was a bad penalty. I want to know first how you feel about the penalty being called that changed a 47 to a 52-yard field goal, and also Jason Garrett deciding not to take a shot with a timeout with 11 seconds left and no sense of urgency for the Cowboys' offense in the final minute of that game either. That's laissez-faire offense for the Dallas Cowboys. Hey, you know what? We could have just moved a little closer, but why bother? Hey, we have a timeout. Our kicker should make it. You know, one thing, and Jeff can maybe attest to this too, because I thought there was a real interesting Twitter stream last night from Jacob Tammy talking about how the snapper, you know, and you saw him. He was fidgeting with the football. You know, yeah. And, you know, the thing is this. If a team, they could go to the official and say, look, we saw this on film. This this guy is doing something. Could you please make it a point of emphasis to watch and see if they're trying to draw us off sides? And, you know, I noticed that the ball wasn't moving around nearly as much on the snap for 52 yards as it was for 47. So he's doing a little gimmicky thing, hoping to get off sides, hoping to get his team five yards. Maybe it was even subconscious. I don't know. I don't have a problem with that. You know, I, I mean, and look, 52 yards in today's NFL you got to make the kick, man. You know what I'm saying? It's not. This isn't like he was trying to do something like Chandler Canazaro, 59 yards to win the game for the Bucks. 52 yards is a makeable field goal, and he missed, and that was it. And of course, Jason Garrett didn't do his kicker any favors either by putting him in that position. It just, again, for the Cowboys, though, it's just this is how it's going to be. One week they're going to be up and they're going to look great, and we're going to be praising the coaches for the game plan. And the next week they're going to be down. And for whatever reason, now the Cowboys that used to be a terrible uh, home team, maybe because they were living large before the games. I don't know. Now they're a terrible road team, and they win at home. Go figure. It's an 8-8 eight and eight division, 9-7. and seven. I mean, look, everybody is – I mean, the Giants are horrendous, right? And, you know, for the, for the Cowboys, it's week to week. Redskins, do they show any consistency? I mean, they're, they're week to week, too. It's just – you know, until a team starts stringing together, like a three-game winning streak honestly might be the most that we get in this division this year. It's just, it's just a bad year for the NFC East. Tell me what you feel about the Titans' decision to go for two yesterday at the end of the game against the Chargers in London, and then the play call not to go with a quarterback sneak and try to throw the ball to receivers that had, well, not caught the ball very well pretty much all season long. How did you feel about both of those calls? You know, here's the thing. I don't have a problem with him doing what he did when going for two because I think his defense was just gassed. And the way the Chargers were playing and the way Phillip Rivers was moving the ball up and down the field, I think he thought, you know, and and it's like the Belichick call from a couple, you know, we're still talking about it from 2009 when he went for it against the Indianapolis Colts on Sunday Night Football. Deep in in Colts territory because he just knew his defense wasn't going to be able to make the stop. I think Mike Vrabel felt the same way about about the way his team was playing. So let's go ahead, you know, let's put it in our hands to win this game now the play call itself uh, you know look and the thing is that when it comes to criticizing play calling i mean i I like to think that these teams when it comes to game planning look at analytics look at uh, the highest percentage of success obviously some of them don't just ask mike mccoy right and he's out of a job right now in arizona everyone figured out he just likes to send the running back up under center and that's it and everyone stops it and now he's got no gig but i mean so that that plays tough yeah i mean look you could do a lot of spectacular things with marcus Mariota. probably wasn't the best use of him but 
listen, I'm not a big fan of the offensive coordinator. I think Matt LaFleur, I mean, remember, he was not the first choice by Mike right. Grable to, to run this. And he's a first-time offensive coordinator, and he's someone who's still trying to feel his way. And, and let's be honest here, too. I mean, with this Tennessee team, I think some, some you know, we can bash Mike Malarkey all we want, right? And, you know, say what it was, exotic smash mouth, and he was only going to get this team so far. But when we look back at it, how much was he covering up for some deficiencies of, of Marcus Mariota that are now being exposed? You know, in this type of offense, it's just not a dynamic passing team, and he doesn't have the weapons to have a dynamic passing team. So that's what you get. I mean, you know, it's just a team that's sort of a middling team. Look, they'll, they'll pop up, they'll win, they'll win their share of games. But you know, what on paper should be? They, they, I think there should be a better team than you know what they are now. When you look at what they have on paper, but it just seems like they're sort of destined for eight and eight. Which in that division, by the way, again. Another lousy division, the AFC South. That may be what they're headed toward, you know, and it may it'll keep them in it toward the end. I got to ask you about the Chiefs. Obviously, big performance last night, forty-five ten. Everyone's going to focus on on Pat Mahomes, and, and rightfully so. But that defense has quietly started to play a lot better as the season has gone. What have you noticed from that defense to to get them to play just a, a smidge? A smidge better is better than they were, and I think that's enough to win football games with that offense. Well, I mean, D Ford is is living up to that billing. You know what I mean? That that you know first round billing, and by the way, in a contract year, so very fortuitous for him to have the type of season he's yes. having. And it's funny when he was drafted back in 2014, John Dorsey said he thought he was the second best pass rusher in the draft, and, and he got him in the 20s. Remember, there were a couple guys taken ahead of him, Jadevi and Clowney among them. But he really felt that strongly about D Ford, and now that D is healthy, he's doing better. Chris Jones is, is a bit of a game wrecker on the inside. Remember, too, Anthony Hitchens learning a new defense. He's had to settle down some. Dorian O'Daniel got some snaps yesterday. And the secondary, you know, the communication part is huge, right? I mean, you have, you're losing. They're on their sixth different safety, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Like, like you know, you've got to have yes. guys back there that are traffic cops. And Eric Berry was supposed to be that guy. And with him being out, it's been a difficult transition for this team. But I think Orlando Skandrick has settled down now. He's playing better football. And look, how many, you know, before we to offer too much praise for this Chiefs defense, defense let's remember this is the same group that gave up 10,000 yards to the New England Patriots the week before so I, I'm not it's a it's a week-to-week thing and what was so weird about the game last night was it really felt like you know it was almost like a squash match in pro wrestling right like you knew the champion going in and then some jabroni was going to just stick around for five minutes you get the pinfall and then the, you know be sent to the interviewer right I mean because that's really what the Bengals got such short shrift they were regarded as just you know they were there to just, you know, be the patsy, the Washington generals, so to speak, as the Kansas City Chiefs just dribbled up and down the court draining threes, and that's exactly what they did. And, and again, same old Bengals, right? And yep. Devontae's perfect. By the way, is there like a huge buffet in Cincinnati that no one's turned me on to before? <laughs> this man is large, and he's yeah. slow. He is looking like he is at least 15 pounds overweight. He, and, again, what does he add to that Cincinnati defense at this point? I mean, you know, a lot of talk, not a lot of production. Flopped all night. That's what he adds. Oh, so, you know, terrible. I mean, just, you know, but, again, it's the Bengals. They, they do this sort of stuff to themselves, and primetime games, Andy Dalton just comes up small. I mean, he, I know he beat the Ravens earlier this year, but look at his primetime record. This Bengals team just withers, and that's why they're an also-ran, and they'll be 7-9, and nine, and we'll be talking about Marvin Lewis at the end of the year. The Bengals are George South. But Alex Marvez is not. I really appreciated that reference, Alex. Always a blast talking to you. Uh, we'll catch. We'll catch you again soon. Fantastic, gentlemen. Be good. Take care, Alex. He's at Alex I, Marvez on Twitter. I don't get any He's of the absolutely wrestling fantastic. references. No, wrestling I know references. you're not supposed to. That's 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 me and A Marv right there.
Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. When it comes down to it, and this is the series that MLB wanted, Los Angeles against Boston. It begins tomorrow. Chris Sale against, it says undecided where I'm at, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be Clayton Kershaw in that game. Um, When it comes down to the NLCS, the Brewers just simply didn't hit enough. And you can no, credit the you can credit the Dodgers pitching for that to some extent, but the Brewers just flat out sucked on, at the dish. Well, look, I think we have to credit Chris Taylor for that catch uh, on, on the Yelich uh, line drive. Sure. Was it the fifth inning? I believe, uh, Danny. If you guys correct me, I'm wrong. Fifth, fifth or sixth, sixth inning. inning. Yeah. Um, you know, interesting the, the way that, you know the the baseball is played now. So you know, Bueller was rolling along in that game. He allows the double to Shaw, I believe, and then there's two outs to Yelich. And I would have, I, I in old the baseball I grew up watching, would have walked Yelich and then faced Braun and left Bueller in the game. Instead, they go right to the bullpen, um, and uh, and Yelich has a laser, and Taylor makes an outstanding grab. If that gets over his head, it's 2-2. Yelich is now sitting on second or third base. The game changes a, a big deal on that play. So give Chris Taylor the credit there. Then Puig ends up hitting uh, just a muscled-out home run. I mean, that was a, a, an impressive at-bat from him. Uh, you're right. The, the Brewers did not hit enough. Uh, and I think this goes to a larger point about baseball, man, is everyone's trying to hit jacks now. Like you have to sometimes produce yeah. runs. Like that's the way you used to score was producing runs. Uh, whether, look, I'm not an advocate of bunting all the time, but you know, just getting a single, getting a guy a second base, getting a base hit and teams now try to hit home runs. And in this series coming up, the, the, the key for the Dodgers 100% is gotta be, um, gotta get to, gotta get to Boston's bullpen and cause some damage. Their bullpen is really shaky. Um, they they try to not go to them in in an era where where managers cannot wait to use the bullpen right we've seen it in every series so far except the Red Sox the Red Sox do keep their starters in the game they know their bullpen is suspect uh, Kimbrel has been um, has done enough but it's been it's been close every game so the Dodgers just have to kind of stay close enough to where they can take advantage of the Red Sox bullpen. I think you'll agree with me, Danny and, and Roberto. The Red Sox are the better team. It doesn't mean the Dodgers can't win this, but I think the key really is keeping the game close for about six innings and then taking advantage of Boston's bullpen. Yeah. I mean, we know how good the Red Sox are. Mookie Betts, Ben Intendi, the lineup is stacked. I mean, even Jackie Bradley Jr. in the yes. nine spot oh. was just amazing in the ALCS. Yeah, he was the MVP. You, yeah. And that's the thing, too. Their defense is great. Their bats are amazing, but as Jeff pointed out, it is their pitching that has been their weakness. So if the Dodgers can produce runs, that's why Manny Machado's bunt was so outstanding in Game 7 because the Dodgers were trying to produce some runs, and right. throughout the season, everyone said the Dodgers were home run or bust. You know, Most of their runs came from home runs, obviously. The Dodgers need to get guys on base. They need to get them around and score and then add some home runs on top of that, and you're good. And once that bullpen comes in, you can do even more damage. So I think uh, the Dodgers will be in good shape, as Jeff mentioned, if they can get to that bullpen. Watch out. This city and Southern California in general has been on a natural high since Saturday night. I was actually, and you called it, Jeff, uh, last week. You thought the Dodgers were going to win in seven. 
And uh, the only thing that stunk about that, I was hosting a concert at the Majestic Ventura Theater. So all of us during soundcheck, we were sneaking peeks on our phones <laughs> watching it. Uh, it was pretty cool with the security staff. And, and the first words, I walk out to this sold out crowd for this old school concert. My first words on the microphone were an update on how Kershaw closed out the last three outs in this place erupted the uh, entire theater went bananas with the news it's just been an amazing feeling walking around southern california seeing the dodger flags the hats the shirts this city is so hungry for a world series championship and i hope the dodgers can bring it home this time and they may be able to do it this again is the matchup i think mlb wants i don't think that that is a germane take for me la and boston i I want to see the ratings for this series you got sale and kershaw in game in game one, like what better matchup could you have wanted? Both teams have their aces throwing in game one. The setting in, in, in Fenway Park is going to be absolutely fantastic. Uh, and, uh, look, they just have to hope. I think they play game five and before and five on Saturday, Sunday, which obviously is up against college football in the NFL, which is going to be really tough, but, um, that's the schedule they have. So I hope that people pay attention because, you know, I don't think anyone even knew that the NLCS was, was game seven was happening on Saturday night. And part of that was, you know, they put Oregon and Washington State on, on Big Boy Fox and put the, you know, the other game on FS1. Thanks for listening to the best of Outkick the Coverage podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, 3 to 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for Outkick the Coverage at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every morning on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 